listening to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. This is episode 51. And if you're wanting to learn more about how to teach your child at home, you've come to the right place. Today's conversation is about the value of teaching health principles. Our guest, Maxine Blake, is a retired educator who spent 37 years teaching students in the UK. The Cleverly Changing podcast was created for you. Our goal is to provide you with encouragement, insight about African history, and support as a parent and home educator. New episodes are uploaded bi-weekly, so please remember to subscribe and share. I have a favor to ask you. Please share this podcast with at least two people this week. If you want to keep this podcast going, please consider supporting it by donating via our Patreon page at a low monthly cost. Visit patreon.com slash cleverly changing to become a monthly donor. You can help us with as little as $2 a month. Today's African proverb is a flea can trouble a lion more than a lion can trouble a flea. And that's the Kenyan proverb. It's now time for the word of the episode. Today's word of the episode is brought to you by Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. Maye. Maye, it means water in Kiswahili. Welcome to another Cleverly Changing podcast. I am Elle Cole, one of your hosts, and we are listening to another episode. Today, we have a fascinating guest who is an educator from the UK, and I can't wait for her to share with you about her new book and just her story and her experiences as an, as an educator. So, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. I'm a mom of twins. I have two daughters who are now 12, and I am so excited about being able to educate my kids. I want you to know that this podcast is not only for homeschoolers, but it is also for people who want to supplement their child's education and just get to know more about educating yourself. I believe that all people should be lifelong learners. So come on this journey with us and listen in. Okay, so while we are waiting for Miriam to connect with her audio, go ahead and introduce yourself, Maxine. Hello, I'm Maxine Blake. I'm from the UK and I'm really excited to be here. So thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm um, an educator and as you talked about lifelong learning, I believe even though I'm qualified to be a teacher, everyone has their role. Everyone has their role once you become a parent to educate your child. I do believe education doesn't start when you get in school, but it starts when you're pregnant. Because I remember when I was being when I was pregnant, I was singing to my son and we were talking and we were creating stories because they do have that memory and they need to feel secure where they are. And as soon as he was born, we would talk to him like he was an adult, we'd question him. There wasn't any, any stone that wasn't unturned. Everything he asked us, we answered him. What you have to remember is when a small child asks you a question, they only want a tiny little bit. They might come back a week or so later with exactly the same question, but they want you to build more on it. And my philosophy was totally different from my parents because they weren't educated in this system. And having been through the British system, I know that if I take my child into school, that's not where the education starts. It starts with me. I am the responsible person and I, I teach him all the wider things he needs to know. And he shouldn't be afraid to come back and ask me the questions that he's learned at school because 
that's how we believe so around the dinner table whether we're getting dressed in the morning wherever we are it's all about informing our child and being comfortable with who we are and where we are just for example he used to have um birthday parties around our house his friends used to come along and say um miss blake can you just teach me how to make that cheese sauce? I'd go, yeah, great. Come along, grab some utensils and we'll cook together. So we had that kind of philosophy in our house. When his friends came along, they were staying for dinner. They wouldn't just be eating, they'd be prepping and we'd be talking about the goodness of food and what kind of things that goes in you. So that's, that's my kind of background. That's awesome. Because I, I think, you know, that hands-on learning that you're speaking about is what all kids crave. Yeah. And so just listening to you talk about that, like kids are naturally curious. That is not something that you have to go to school to learn. It is innate within us as humans. So I love that you shared that story. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> so we will continue. And I wanted to know, you talked about being an educator. What led you into wanting to be an educator? Well, when I was at school, um, my father said to me, when you finish school, you're going to be a nurse. I didn't think that was a problem with that. Just that I actually hated hospitals and everything to do with them. And then we had this talk by our senior mistress who said, why are you limiting yourself to certain things? Because I had no idea. Careers wasn't very good. And um, I had a new sports teacher that came along and suddenly he was opening my eyes up to so many things. And I walked down the corridor one day and I heard my two teachers talking. She'd make a great RS teacher. That's religious studies. No, I think she'd make a great sports teacher. And as I walked past and I thought, they're talking about me. Oh, wow. I can do this. I went home, I said to my dad, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a teacher. And he was a typical Caribbean in terms of male perspective. And he said, no, you're not. But as a small child, I'd always have this kind of conversation with my father when he said, boys do this and girls do that. I'd go out my way to prove that as a girl, I can do that too. And once I had my mindset and I thought, no, I'm going to be a teacher. I know I'm going to be good. They said I can do it, so therefore... I can do it. That's awesome. Awesome. You, you just brought up that you have a Caribbean background. Can you tell us um, where your family is from? Yes, both my parents are um, or were Jamaican and they came over here in the kind of the Windrush era. So it was really, really difficult. And there's lots of things they didn't tell us about the racism and things that they, you know, they, they went through because it was so hard. So they had to find their own way. I mean, they only came over because I found out recently they had four children that, that died in the Caribbean. Mm. And so in, to enable them to have a family that would survive and thrive, that's what they did. So they sacrificed an awful lot for us and they put us in the British system. So in a way, they really protected us. But they still had this very old-fashioned Caribbean um, way of life that we stuck to when we're at home and then as you know when you go out into school you're in a different way but then my church background was really supportive too and there was a girl one year above me who then went to university and I just thought oh she's doing it I can do that too so we all need somebody that we need to look up to to break that mold and think if they can do it we can too <laughs> You just mentioned that your family had to, you know, struggle coming over from Jamaica into um, the UK. Yeah. And I'm sure that impacted your experience in some ways. Can you kind of share how, how you think it has impacted you and kind of what subjects you taught so that, you know, we can get an idea of how that has transitioned in your life? Yeah, I, I remember sitting down talking to my son when he was about to go to university and I'd say, right, so your father and I have now got the experience of leaving home, going to university. These are the things that we did. We, I didn't have that privilege when my parents went because they had absolutely no idea. They didn't know how to guide us or to tell us anything. So we had to learn by our own mistakes. And so from that experience, I just thought, what is education? Education doesn't start when you're four or five when you're going to school. 
and it's not because I'm an educator. I think we all have experiences that we can teach our children. We can't leave it to somebody else because we are the, per the people that created them. We have to mold them in with the moral and ethical standards and teach them that. And if somebody else contradicts them, we have to make sure that we give them the tools that they can stand up and say, this is my point of view. And this is what I hold fast to. So it's not out the doors. You educate them wherever you are, whenever you're out on the streets, whenever you're going around. I mean, in lock, we call it lockdown. Now, you might, you might do. We are literally locked down in the UK at the moment. And when parents are struggling, thinking, oh, my goodness, what can I do? They forget formal or informal education. That can carry on at home, but in a different way. So where they can't teach their kids when they are in the schools, you can have those conversations. You can be out and looking at nature and talking about all those things that the children, they tend not to be able to do when they're at school. You know, you have to impart your knowledge. It doesn't matter how small it is, but as long as you give it over with confidence and you're open, that's what you need to do. You need to make sure, to tell them, I don't know everything, which is fine, but what you should be able to say then, but I know how to find out because you want to keep that curiosity carrying on with your child. My method of teaching was always it was from the back. So if students ask me a question, I wouldn't answer the question. I'm giving it to somebody else. Or I'd put a question out there and then they would have to answer it. And I'd freely say, I don't know. But it takes confidence to show that that kind of um, personality that you, you're unsure. And it, it just takes years. But what I tell them is that, but I know how to find out. And that's what you want them to be able to do. You want them to be independent so they can go out there and find out for themselves. And you need to be able to give them the tools to be able to do that. Absolutely. I, I think what you said about, you know, we now during this lockdown period have an opportunity to show our kids something that they weren't necessarily able to receive while they were in school. And that's some that's something that we have to look at. We have to change our perspective. And I think of like cooking and baking at home. That is something that our kids don't get to do in school, but it's such a rich learning experience. And there's so much that, you know, you bring your culture into the way that you cook. You bring, um, you know, there's so many lessons. We talk about like the math lessons, the chemistry lessons. And so it's just a smorgasbord of knowledge within our homes that aren't necessarily the typical academic lessons, but they are very important lessons. And so what you just talked about is just right on target. So I love yeah. that. Can I just interject that they are the wider things too. And I also think as, as a black woman, you also subconsciously bring in your own culture and talk about the food. And you know that when you're in a kitchen or when you're cooking, there'll be a story, there'll be a song that you can bring up. You can talk about the, your past history. You can talk about your family, the importance of relationships, and all those things that become natural, they're not forced. And so your child would be able to understand and assimilate all of those things. And when I'm in school or when I was in college, I talk to students and I do teach nutrition too. And we talk about well, what kind of foods do you have? What's your typical Sunday dinner? So if somebody was English, they'd go, well, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. And somebody would go, what? Or, or it'd be, you know, rice and, and peas. And I'd go, oh, let me just stop. It's not peas, green peas as you know them. It's kidney beans, but we call them peas. And I get an African student saying, yeah, but my food's better than yours. So we'd have this challenge. And those kids, they would know about their food. A lot of the British kids have no idea because they're never in the kitchen and I just say you are what you eat you need to know about your food you need to know what's good for you because you're nurturing yourself from inside to out so it's not just a physical I'm teaching I'm teaching about the nutrition that goes inside and the mental aspect so it's all holistic and so we go off at tangent and I go oh Maxine I'm gonna have to invite you around my house I'm gonna have to cook for you I'm like, you you're right can we come around yours or bring food in and we talk about it, how it, you know, what kind of energy it helps to give you and the kind of foods. Or if they're drinking a, a can, a, a fizzy pop, I'll just say, right. Yeah, I mean, they, they weren't allowed it anyway, but I said, just give me that. And I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know, when you bought this, 
what do you think's in it? What goodness is in it? Oh, it's got this, it's got mango. I'm going, yeah, but look at the sugar. Look at all the additives. Can you pronounce those words? If you can't pronounce those words, it's not doing you any good. These are the things you should, you should be having. And they'd go, oh. And the next week they'd go, you know what? I went around the supermarkets and the shops and I was looking at all these things. And I'd go, that's exactly what I want. I want you to be curious. I don't want you just to pick it up just because your parents picked it up or so on. I want you to think for yourselves and think, this is nurturing my body. Whatever is going in here is going to produce itself and come out later on. So it's about, again, making them curious. I like a curious child. I like them to challenge me, to ask me questions. You know, and, and again, that's about, you know, you have to be confident to do that. And as a teacher, it's those tools I'm hoping that I've given them for, for all my 37 years of teaching. A long time. Well, I would love that because I know for myself, I'm really into the um, more natural side of life. And so what you were saying was spot on, you know, for me, when we are giving our children these life skills that they don't, they wouldn't necessarily get inside a classroom, you know, things like how to separate the laundry, how to fold their clothes. That is, is better to clean from top to bottom instead of bottom to top, you know, things like that, that, you know, you have to look under, you can't, if you're looking for something, you have to move things. You can't oh my goodness. stand there and gaze around, you're going to miss something, things like this. And then the, the fact that we have this time to be able to be with them in a way that we weren't before and to slow down and really pay more attention and actually learn them and find better approaches to their needs and even a better way to assess what their needs are. Yeah. So, you know, and when you're also talking about being confident in your, I guess I'll say adulthood enough to allow a child to ask you questions or to say, well, that's not right. That can't be true. You know, it's growing up, I encountered a lot of adults that were very insecure in that manner. And to say something to them was, you know, ah, and then they're freaking out, you know, oh, you're getting a stern talk or two. And I'm sitting here looking at them like, okay. And I would keep digging at it because the answer and the treatment wasn't sufficient for me. Yeah, and yeah. A lot of a lot of children are missing out on that, and a lot of children have kind of I don't want to say have it beaten out of them, but they've been broken in a way because children naturally have that desire for power, for curiosity, for learning, yeah. and we kind of squash that when we, you know demand this respect. Eh, I love what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I just want to say that, where, I mean, I, I'm now 60 years old, but when I was growing up, in the culture that I grew up in, I wasn't allowed to ask my parents any questions like that or just say, oh, is that quite right? That would never happen. And I just thought, how do we therefore learn? How do we put our children in a culture where they find it okay to question, not to be disrespectful, because they have these questions. And if they can't ask us, who are they going to go to? I would rather they ask me anything. And I know that my son's friends, they'd come along and say, I have this question, I can't ask my parents. And I'm just going, oh, yeah, just sit down. Let's just talk about it. And that's what you need. You need them to be comfortable and think, I've got something that I need to say or ask, and I don't know where else to go. And I'd rather them find out. So, and I said to my son, I'd rather you make an educated mistake than an ignorant mistake. Oh, I like that. It's my responsibility to therefore teach you so you have choices. If you're not told, you haven't got any choices. So therefore, when you make a decision, it's because you've looked at them, you've looked at, shall I do this? What are the consequences? And you've made them, in, they are informed because that's the way I've taught you. And 
you know, and, and that's what you should have. You, you need to have a curious child. You need to have them when they're in your house, they're comfortable to ask you questions, whatever the questions are, wherever those questions occur. But again, that takes a certain level of confidence and you do have to think, I was brought up this way, but that isn't the way I want to bring my child up. And even when you don't have to be an educator in a formal sense, because we all have things to teach our children. And you can teach them to be polite when they're in other people's houses. Just for instance, there are only a few of us that used to have this when our children were growing up. When my son would, he'd be around for dinner and friends would be around for dinner. The rules were, if you don't eat all your first course, you can't have a dessert. So mm. he'd gone around to his friend's house and they were, he was struggling to eat something. I said, mm, and what did you do? He said, well, no, you taught me to eat it, so I ate it. And the friends were saying, well, you don't have to eat it, you know, you can have dessert. And he looked up and thought, what do you mean? Oh, don't you have those rules in your house? And they went, no. And he thought, oh, no, I like those rules my mum gave me. I'm good. When I have children, I'm going to have those too, because you can't waste food. So it teaches them some sort of responsibility, you know. And, and so that's what you hope you're going to give to your children and to their friends too. Hopefully. I feel like... I feel like you've shared some real tools that I want to just kind of touch on just a little bit, because right now, many families are experiencing a lot of adversity. They're experiencing loss at great levels. And so some of the things that you talked about, we need to start relying on. And one of those things you mentioned is taking care of ourselves. You talked about nutrition. And so one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that to cope with stress, taking care of what and being mindful of what you put in your body is very important. And it's like you're you're talking about that on a fundamental level. And so those principles that you're sharing with your students is going to help carry them through even in times when they're not facing this same amount of stress but because you're giving them their these tools yeah. so that they'll have something to fall back on when they do experience because in life you know just any human is going to experience stress that is oh, just yeah. fundamental that is that is normal but what we are all I mean I don't know of there ever being a pandemic in my lifetime this is completely new and so us parents are living with something that we've never experienced. And so some of us are able to handle it because we do have the tools like exercising, eating right, and um, tapping into our culture, thinking about things that we're proud of, thinking about things that we value. And those are the things that really cover us even during the bad times. But for those of us who don't have that grounding, it's gonna be a lot difficult. And I thought that when you mentioned that, those are great principles for all of us to really rely on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when we first um, were told we're leaving today from the building, from, uh, from the college I was teaching at, I thought, okay, I now have to teach my students online. And the, when I, the college that I was at was really a very, very deprived one. Some of the students wouldn't even go in, you know, two miles into the city centre unescorted or wouldn't leave the city centre, never been there before, or might live in high-rise flats with multi-generations within them. And we knew from looking at some of the data that these will therefore be some of the more vulnerable students. So when I was online with my students and we were talking about lessons I thought I have to ditch those lessons because I have to think about their personal well-being and their safety so I'm starting off with where are you where are you at describe how you're feeling or what's happening around and what you can do for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself first of all you can't take care of anybody else okay and so I could hear sometimes the stress in their voices because I couldn't see them and I could hear some students saying, I haven't been out for five weeks because I've got relatives who are vulnerable and I didn't want to bring anything back. And I, I think, oh, my goodness, I, I can hear that in their voices right now. Here are two or three quick tools for you to look after yourself. Even breathing techniques. And I taught lots of relaxation, too, for students pre-exam time. And I've never been in a pandemic either. And I have to think, I'm a manager. I've got to 
try and talk to my staff and try and get them okay about where they are before they can then talk to students because I don't want them bringing their anxiety over to the students. So if they can't take care of themselves, I just say, don't worry about the lessons. You have to make sure you're okay yourself and you're, you're managing and tell me the tools that you have and what can I do to help you? So it's about digging deep in all those fundamentals. I mean, luckily I've come from a large family, so you know, you can talk and you can, you can argue about things. And so I'm quite grounded in, in my position and I'd, I'd have to be digging deep myself and think, okay, I'm feeling levels of anxiety. Now, what do I do? I now need to go back to my fundamentals of my breathing, my nutrition, my exercise, because I know those are things that make me feel better. And once I've got that out of my system, I can then help somebody else along the way. You can't do that if you're feeling inadequate yourself or you're in a hole yourself. You really can't. All you're doing is displaying your anxieties onto somebody else. So it is about yes. all of those things. Yes. So I, I just think that your passion for your students really comes across. It's like you're, you're nurturing them in their experiences. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So I know that you have written a book. You've taken these experiences <laughs> and you started to compile them. So I want to talk about this book because the mm. titles are so hilarious. And so, you know, we talk about just so much. You have such a wealth of knowledge about nutrition and health and you're very humorous too and so we haven't necessarily heard you share your comical side but your book definitely touches on that comical side can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to put some of these stories and experiences down on paper I didn't initially but I used to come home every day and I just say to my husband's son, oh my goodness, guess what happened to me today? And my son would look at me and go, mom, write these down. And I just go, why? It happens to every other teacher. And he go, no, it doesn't. It only happens to you. And I just think, really? <laughs> and I keep coming home and went, guess what the boys did? And because of the nature of my uh, work, because I taught sports and it was post 16, it was mostly boys. Um, and so they felt, I don't know whether they felt they could push boundaries or ask me a question that they felt would embarrass me. And I'd always go, you can't embarrass me. I, I, I've had boys. You can't embarrass me. Nothing you can do can touch me. But yeah, yeah, just, just come on. And so they'd ask me these, these quite intimate questions. And I'd just go, okay, I'll answer that question. And then the girl went and go, oh, all right then. And I'd take this home and my son would go, they asked you what? And I'd go, I know. He said, write it down. I went, well, I teach, I don't write. He went, no, you can write it. So I started collecting all these stories over many, many years. And then I decided to retire early in February, not even thinking about the pandemic because my husband and I are also great travelers and you know we ski too and we wanted to travel and work abroad, maybe in the mountains for a little bit and do some volunteering work. And I realized I couldn't do it. And I thought, right, this book then, I have to write this book. And what's quite funny, um, a few years ago, so some of my students now are about 50 years old. So one of them contacted me the day and, say, and said, I've heard you've written a book and I, I can't call you Maxine. That sounds really disrespectful. And I just said, you're 50 years old. It's fine. <laughs> so she said, so when you make this book into a film, can I play my part? <laughs> I just said, <laughs> That's really nice. But number one, it'll never made into a film. And number two, you're a little bit old, but thank you anyway. And then I'd have former students come up and say to me, you were my first black role model. And I hadn't even thought about that thing. So at the age of 23, 24, when I'm struggling myself to make a mark, there were these few black kids who just go, oh, somebody of color who's teaching never had that before and when I and they said when I saw you doing that I then knew I could do anything and that is mm. such a nice thing to have such a look and I just think oh right but sometimes it isn't it doesn't happen straight away sometimes it will take years before they go away and they come back and go oh, and some of them would go if it wasn't for you 
I could I would have been thrown out of school or a college and I'd have forgotten what I've done but it's just part of my job but I also had a bit of a, a weird nickname and they I was called a terminator for a bit <laughs> which is weird but also we did um a, a couple of foreign trips so I, I was in conjunction I was a terminator and a safe pair of hands so they always knew they could come to me because I dotted and crossed every line I knew where the students were what they were doing so there was nobody getting lost nobody getting into trouble but they knew that when they walked into my class it was really quite strict so they had to they had to do what they told they were there to learn and and that's what you know that they were there for and that's why how I partly got that name tell us the name of your book so the book is called uh, don't poo in the pudding bowl which <laughs> When people hear that, they just go, what? And I just go, yeah, that, that happened to me. That really happened. And they go, what? And I, I go, and I'm not teaching infant school or elementary. I, I can see your face now. <laughs> I say, I was teaching in my first school. So the British education system, we were uh, my first job was 11 to 16. And it was a really, really deprived area. So there were, of, of, uh, of the city. So um, head teachers would come and go, they'd, they'd bring a strategy in, then they'd leave before anything happened because it would never happen. Uh, there were buckets around the, the floors for this, because there were you know, holes in the roof. And one day we had this, uh, the head temporary head teacher said, we have a problem. We have somebody who's um, leaving deposits around the school. And I was brand new and I was going, what he said he has a psychological problem and we thought oh my goodness so just to cut a long story short i ended up teaching some home ec and some needlework because they wanted us to try and teach more students so they, they they felt like they were at home and a girl rushes into my class who was always late but was always you had to keep her really calm so she didn't disrupt everybody else and she was looking in the cupboards and disrupting a lesson and I thought I need to be calm and then she found this bowl and she shoved it under my nose and I stood back and went look what I found and I looked and I went oh my god so I pick up the bowl and I just think what am I going to do so I try and keep the other students calm this girl was looking like she'd found the prize and she wanted me to praise her so I, I thought all right I can't do this and I take it to my next in line uh, who's teaching next door and this is the kind of mentality you had to have and she just said to me was it steaming and I looked and I went what in my head I'm like, that is not the answer that I wanted no I take the bowl off her I go to my head of department and she looks and she goes oh well maybe we can wash it out and then I just went no for number one who's going to wash it out Number two, the students will be cooking it, the parents are going to be eating from it. That's not happening under my watch. I take it off, I walk up the corridor. I didn't even knock on the head teacher's door. I waltzed in, I put the pudding, the bowl right under his nose and I just shut the door and left it. And I thought, if she's saying to me, can we wash it out? Oh, remind, memory to myself, don't get invited to her house for dinner because I never <laughs> know what's going to happen. So that really had to be the start of my story. It got better because those <laughs> students from those times, I see so many of them now and they go, oh, do you remember that time? And I go, yes. And I can't even remember who that person was that did that thing. Oh, yeah. And we did this. And remember when you saved me from that or somebody did that? So they remember all of those things about how I handled it as a young, new black teacher in the school that they just thought, how is she going to manage all of these things crazy times but 37 years later i still managed to get through the system and ride it and then still remain sane which is nice to know oh my goodness what a tale of tales <laughs> I, know, the, I know the book is it's, it's a humorous book but i had to start off with that one just because that was my grounding and we used to get paid extra money and I called it danger money. That's because the students were so deprived that, you know, it, was, it literally felt like danger money when we were there at times. And so mm -hmm. you had to be really watching your back quite often. But 
the kids that was there, I, I quickly learned you had to make friends with the hardest one there. So you got them on your side, which then brought the other ones onto your side too. And so when I started to create all these different curricular activities, they were there and they were flying with me. So, yeah, so they'd become my protectors in a way. You know, the tools, you have to make use of the tools that you have. But I see your faces now, and I note, oh, uh, yeah, but I'm used to, <laughs> to that now. <laughs> I mean, that one story definitely captivated my attention. I'm like, I got to get this book because I, I got to hear the rest of the stories. And I know that, uh, Miriam, there was one story that stuck out to you, and you were like, I got to ask her about that. <laughs> Yes. So um, I can't remember the title exactly, but <laughs> it was like the mother and daughter prostitute. And I was like, say what now? <laughs> My mind went in all kinds of directions. And I was like, I don't even know that I really want to know. But yeah, I, I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I need to get this book because I'm it, all, each and every title really was intriguing. And I really do enjoy short stories. They're so fun. And it kind of makes, you know, the reading a little bit more digestible sometimes, especially for me since I'm, you know, busy far too many days of my life. But <laughs> yes, I just like the idea of each one being, you know, a nice little potent power pack funny. And that one really stood out. <laughs> They're awesome. I mean, you have this professional persona when you're a teacher. But sometimes I lost control. I absolutely lost control in the classroom when they'd ask me a question. One of them, I, I won't go into the mother-daughter prostitutes. So I think the, you know, the, your listeners should listen to it themselves. I overheard two of my students talking in an anatomy lesson. And I thought, mm, are they trying to distract? What are they doing? And one of them said, Maxine, just because at, at the college, you can call the teachers by the first name. They said, um, just um, settle this argument for me. Um, so... And I think these boys are wrong. And I went, okay. So, so um, farting pigeons, and if they and they if they fart on one another, the other pigeon becomes pregnant, doesn't it? And I, got, I went, what? And I, I looked at the class, and I just said, am I hearing this correctly? And one went, yeah, I saw it. And I thought, I actually can't carry on this conversation because that could be one of the ruses where. Um, you know, they try and distract you. And I said, well, come back and see me later, boys. But they had this discussion. Yeah, I saw it. They became pregnant. And I just thought, is it because you're from another country? Is there some language where it's not quite right? But it wasn't. And they were really believing this. And I thought, oh, I have so much more to teach you on anatomy and things. So, but there was this in-depth, yeah, I, I've seen it happen. And I really wanted to go into how and where and and were the babies, were the eggs? But I thought, no, I can't. That'll take up my lesson. We'll do that for another time and, and see me, you know, at the end of the day. And, because that was just, it was just ludicrous. So, yeah, and the book is full of different little bit, bits of drawings and doodles too, just to make people just go, oh, that kind of thing. So I do have one in the, in the beginning of this story too, when um, I have to say, I lost my skirt in front of my students. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't my finest moment. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, it, yeah. And there's a picture of literally my skirt had dropped to the floor. Just the, just the touch on it, I travel quite a lot. So I'd been in South America and I'd, I'd come back ill. And so I'd lost nearly two stone in weight. And so I was teaching one day and, um, a teacher came into the classroom and I went to help her. Um, so when I got up, I heard this noise and I thought, what's that noise? I don't recognize it. Then I realized it was my skirt slowly making its way down my legs. And I had 17 year old boys in my class. And I stood there and in my head, I gave myself options. I don't know why I gave myself options as to how I got out of it, but I just thought, Maxine, thank God. And I really meant it, you're a black woman because you'd be the shade of purple right now. So how are you gonna live this down? I don't know. And so my colleague and I kind of made something up 
And I literally carried on walking, bent down, picked my skirt up as if nothing had happened, helped her with this thing, went back, sat down at the computer, carried on. I didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. Ten years later, they still haven't said a word. I've gone home, told my husband, you know what they did? My husband, my son, they didn't say, oh my goodness, how are you feeling? Have a cup of tea. No, they went straight onto Facebook going, there must be a story about it. Those boys must have said something. And I just went, thanks for the support, family. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. So I- um, Do you have a favorite story um, in the book? That was a good one, but I, um, one of them, is when I took um, about 100 and odd um, boys and girls to somewhere we call the Lake District, which is like really quintessentially English, beautiful countryside. We took them on a three-day residential. And um, so there were a lot of Muslim girls. And so we had to make sure that we separated the boys and the girls. And they were 10 miles apart in terms of residential. So the parents would allow them to go. And these girls literally had never been out of the city so even on the coach, there was lots of noise and there was shouting and screaming at things. And I thought, well, what are they looking at? And I realized, I said, well, what, what are those things in, in the field? And I thought, what do you mean? And I said, those woolly things. And I thought, oh my goodness, I mean sheep. They'd never seen sheep before. So I thought, I'm taking them away from residential. What on earth are they going to be like? So we had one day, it was day three, when we were canoeing and, um, we strapped the two, the two lots of canoes together so to aid buoyancy. And we had the, the, so there were four girls and so that they were okay in the water. So they took the canoes out of the minibus, strapped them together. We explained what they needed to do. Four girls went and just sat in the canoe. I stood there and I went, oh, they don't know what to do. They think the water's going to come to them. <laughs> and I had to walk up to them and say, um, girls, you need to get out the canoe take the canoe over to the jetty and get in. And they just stood and they went, oh, okay. But like, you know, me asking you if you'd like tea, they had no idea what they had to do. And then one of the girls decided she's gonna be the captain and just direct them. So she stood in between the two canoes that are strapped with her back to the water. And these other girls were head down and had this extra weight and they were marching towards the water. And I thought, I know what's gonna happen right now, but I'm not gonna say anything. So she's directing them towards the water, back to the water, they walking on. Then her feet hit the water, her legs hit the rope. She falls backwards. She starts flailing and screaming like this. The other girls start screaming. And I just went, oh, let me just sort this out. I walk into the water. She looks at my feet, realizes I'm in two inches of water. She carries on screaming. The other girls look, carry on screaming. And then she goes, oh, I'm not drowning. And screams <laughs> and it all becomes laughter. And that to me just broke the ice. And they, it was just an amazing transformation for those girls. So that is one of my favorite stories. Oh, that's wonderful and quite comical. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's only my toes. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but see, you were making a difference and they didn't, you know, realize at the time probably and was able to look back later on and remember that experience warmly and fondly. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I'll tell you how much they, some of them remember because uh, a few years ago I met one of my former students and he's now... He's now 50 years old. So we're at this event and I hear this voice and I think, I recognize that voice. I have this weird thing for remembering people's voices. And I walk over and I, I go, Anthony. And he goes, oh, Maxine. And so we have these compliments. And he said, you haven't changed. I said, thank you very much. And I just say, mm. so I'm writing this book. And he's, first of all, his eyes perk up and he just goes, am I in it? And I went, of course you're in it. And I said, um, so I'm going to change your name. He went, no, don't change my name. Just spell my name right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> and this is funny because I'm thinking, you know, if this had happened at our high school, some of the things you're talking about, I can see some of these things happening 
where we <laughs> went to school and the the skirt i'm thinking man there's yeah. no way in the world everybody would have just been like Shh, that didn't happen <laughs> so i'm so proud of we you. went to high school together okay so oh. that's where we met each other <laughs> we, it was a boarding school and it was just um very different we were kind of isolated in this little bubble and i mean yes i i think you you do a excellent job you have done an excellent job of handling many of these situations because oh <laughs> that been me i don't know i stood in my strategy my strategy <laughs> i had to go and tell the principal and the other management team, I just thought, oh my goodness, these, I've traumatized these boys now, I've exposed myself, their parents will be complaining. So I literally had to go down and just say, um, so this happened today and the mouths opened and the eyes went wide and they just said, oh, you've, you've managed that really well. And I went, oh, okay, so they think I've managed it well. So that's okay, then there'll be no complaints or they can handle it. So my head was going round. The worst thing was, though, I had the boys again at the end of the day. <laughs> so I had to live through that whole morning going, oh, why am I going to do what I have this reputation of being as hard as nails? And now I've done this. I can't survive. I'm going to have to just suck it up and take it. Whole of the story. Whole of the story. Oh, my goodness. So my question is, I know that over 37 years, you had so many more stories that did not make it into the book. Where, will there be a sequel? I didn't think there would be. I thought I've got this one book in me, I have these stories. And then when I started to um, announce to the world, I have this book, suddenly it triggered off all these memories of these other teachers. And they started to say, oh, I remember this story. And I go, oh, there's book two. So, and then it's funny, you know how you see people that you haven't seen for years and then you go, oh, do you remember when? And I look at somebody I haven't seen, I've just gone, oh, I remember a story and I get my phone out and I just put something in my phone, I'd write something down. So I've already started to think, yeah, that there's a book too there, definitely. Awesome, awesome. The first one first, and I'm, I'm in line. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame I can't sign it for you because you're all the way over there. Well, look, with the way the postal service is right now, I was well, I can ship it over there. I don't know. I just received a card in the mail yesterday that was postmarked from the 31st of 2020. So I'll see what I can do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the post wow. Is not working out right now here. Yeah. Not yeah. very well. <laughs> no. But tell everybody how they can get your book. Because I know just listening to us have these conversations and you are a magnificent storyteller. And I know everybody's like, man, I want to read the rest of the stories. Let oh, us know how we can connect with you and how we can get your book. It's on Amazon.com, so you can get it there. I also have my own author page, which is MaxineBlake.com. Um, so you'll see some of the, a few of the other stories too. I'm starting to do some blogs, and I'm also, I've started to record the audio version too. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't sure how to do it, but I started doing it yesterday, and I automatically started laughing, and I thought, and I know these stories, the readers don't know them, so how am I going to be? So if they like an audio version, then that will be out quite soon. But yeah, for you guys, Amazon.com is fine, or my own name. I'm way too old to have an author name. I'd never remember any of that. So MaxineBlake.com is just the, the easiest way to get to me. Awesome. Awesome. So you have been just a riveting guest. I'm, oh, I'm just, you. I'm still thinking about the story that caused you to title your book. <laughs> I, I just found it to be hilarious, but you also gave us some sage wisdom about um, parenting our children. It's just something that 
this conversation has been a blessing to us. And I just thank you for making time and sharing with us. And I know that people will definitely connect. I'm going to put your information in the show notes. So if you are listening, go to our show notes page on cleverlychanging.com or on the platforms that you listen to the podcast on and definitely follow up and connect with Maxine Blake. Are there any final things you wanted to share? Well, I'd like to engage with um, any of the readers. And so if anybody wants to send me a message on my, uh, on maxieblake.com, I will easily, I can happily get back to them. If you want to share your stories from from my book too, I'd be happy to do that too. Uh, You know, I, I am open. I have I had an open door when I was in uh, teaching and I'd like to know that I'm open to and that learning doesn't start when you're in school. We learn everywhere we go. Take the opportunity whilst you can. I know the situations aren't great at the moment, but they're opening another type of door for learning. So take those opportunities where you are. You know, they are there for the taking. So please just use them. I'd like to say thank you so much for giving me the time to to express part of my life. There's the funny bits and the embarrassing bits. And I'm, I still feel a little bit hot when I'm talking about that. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a true honor and pleasure. And we just wish you much success with your book and your second book. And we can't, I definitely want to get the audio version because hearing it from your own voice is a a whole added bonus because you are hilarious and humor. I think that is really one thing that's going to take us into 2021 and beyond because we're going to look back at this lockdown time and say, hey, you know, it wasn't all bad. There were some really hilarious moments there. There are some things that we can take away from there and really learn from it. So thank you for sharing with us and we wish you much success and all the best. Thank you very much. It's been lovely to meet you both. Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? Order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.